Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. We consider the four areas of focus for our church. Last week was small groups or discipleship, and this week is worship. And you'll see them, those four areas of focus on banners and things around our church campus. And uh, the focus of worship today is such a broad and huge topic, it's hard to even know where to start. So I'm going to have two words I'm going to focus on. That One is that worship is transformational. So simply by worshiping God is a transforming experience. And second is that worship is invitational. That it's something that you should want to invite people into, into God's presence. And as I talk about these two topics, though, I want you to be thinking about one TV show the whole morning underneath these two topics as like a river that's running underneath transformational and invitational. And the TV show is Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I know you feel let down. I'm sorry. I like Antiques Roadshow. It's a great show to watch when you want to fall asleep. It's also a great show to watch, though, when you get that payoff, when someone finds, like, old baseball cards or, like, a brooch or something, and they get it appraised, you know? And I was watching it late last year, and this man had a Rolex. You heard about this? He bought a Rolex in 1975 for $345.97. That's how much he made a month in the Air Force back then. And he spent all of his money on a month on a Rolex. Kept it in a safe deposit box, never wore it. Had all the documentation, you see that. And the appraiser, when he comes to tell him, he says, watches like yours will sell for $400,000 now. And the guy literally falls down. <laughs> he says, no, 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 get up, I'm not done. He says, watches like yours will sell for $400,000. Because no one has ever worn this watch, because it is, as all the documentation, because Paul Newman wore it in a movie in 1969, this watch actually sells now for about five hundred to $700,000 for a watch. And in that moment, the appraiser's whole being is engaged with the experience. Even the crew is probably like, man... This is amazing. Their body and mind, their will, their emotions, they're engaged. They're ascribing worthy, worthiness and value onto something that was worthy of that value. And not only that, but the guy who owned the watch realized, I haven't been living my life in accordance with the thing that I own. And his life is transformed. Did you know that when 96% of Americans say that when they're polled if they believe in God, 96% say yes. But are we all living in accordance with the value of the thing of which we claim to hold? Are we living in accordance with the worthiness of what we claim to possess? See, the word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. You're ascribing worth on to God with your whole being. It engages your whole being. And then you, then you live in accordance to the worth or the value of the thing in which you are worshiping. Psalm 29, 1 through 4 tells us 
Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. See, when we're ascribing glory and honor unto God's name, we're simply joining in with the chorus of heaven. We're joining in with the reality of the universe. And we're joining in with the ultimate value and worth that has always existed. But if we claim to believe in God, are we honoring the thing that we claim to hold the most value to? See, the difference between a lifeless faith, a faith that's sort of dormant, that sort of shows up on Christmas and Easter. Yeah, I went there. The faith that sort of is like here and there, oh, I'll get to it when I can. The difference of that sort of faith and a passionate, vibrant relationship with God. The difference is worship. The difference is ascribing value and honor and worth onto that which you seek first in your life. Because you become that which you worship. Every person or organization has something in the center of itself that they surround themselves around that thing. That thing that is forming for better or worse. Because everybody worships something. Now speaking of selling stuff on Antiques Roadshow, people sell really weird stuff on eBay. I saw that someone sold a piece of toast that had Jesus' face on it for like 200 bucks. Someone sold a toilet seat that Madonna sat on. Someone buys this. Really weird stuff on eBay. About 10 years ago, a guy named, I'm going to read his name so I don't get it wrong, Hemant Meta, he's an atheist, he sold his soul on eBay. And he said, whoever will buy my soul, well, now you own my soul, so I will go to you, with you to your house of worship, whatever your religion is, right? So he sells his soul on eBay to a retired Presbyterian minister in Oregon for $504. And then him, Meta, and this retired minister, of course, they get a book deal. That's how these things go, right? They get a book deal. And then, because there's a publisher behind it, they start going to like all these mega churches around the country. They go to Joel Osteen's church. They go to all these places around America. And he simply records what he witnesses in houses of worship and Christianity across the country. He does it in a very even-handed way, actually. He's not out to attack it. He's simply observing, for the first time, Christianity. And, of course, the book is called I Sold My Soul on eBay. <laughs> but one thing he notices a time and again about churches, he said, if worship is so important to these people, why can't they show up on time? He's like, you would, you would think, you would think they're, you would get there early, because we're worshiping God. This is what he says. But he says many times, though, he found the services enjoyable, and he could see the benefit and the transforming value of those experiences. He actually, even though he's still an atheist, he was like, I still see how this is a trans transformational thing for people. And many times, 
I don't know about y'all, but there's days where you just don't feel like going to church. Right? I mean, I'm so glad I work in a church. Because, I mean, I want to be here, but it's building a rhythm to my life where I'm in worship every week, and I'm thankful for that. Because if I didn't have that, I would be tempted to be like, eh, I'm going to mow, mow the lawn, or whatever. And it's hard. Sometimes you just don't want to come. Or you stand up to sing. I don't feel like singing. And that's okay. I think we can bring our stuff. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Because worship's not always about your feelings. That's why it's called faith. We can come to God with our, just our will. God, I know I don't feel like it right now. I'm not feeling good. It's been a hard week. It was hard to even get here. But, and if you're a young parent especially, we're very, I know, I'm very appreciative of what it takes to get here on a Sunday morning. Because when we worship, it's transformational because, well, there's nothing broken about God. We're not, we're not filling in something that, that God's deficient on when we worship. God doesn't need anything. God is the ultimate giver. God is love. God is the ultimate good. He's the ultimate value. So when we come to worship, he wants it to be a place of intimacy where we come close to him and encounter him in, in closeness. There's, um, have you ever had to try to get a child to come close to you, to listen to you? It's really difficult. It's like herding cats, which I've never done. But I would assume it'd be like this. Because you look at a kid and you're like, come here, right? And they just kind of look at you. They'll come here, here. And they'll be like, what? But I've learned something new with my kids. I'll, instead of doing that, I'll, I'll say to them, come here, I want to tell you a secret. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, I want to hear a secret, right? And they'll come up and I'll whisper in their ear and here's a secret. And I feel like worship sometimes is God saying to us, come, come closer. I just want to whisper something to you. I just want to be intimate with you. I just want to whisper something to you. But you have to be close. God doesn't shout at us all the time. He whispers. That's just the way he does it a lot. I want to be close, but you have to, be, you have to come near to me. And that's all it is. God just wants to transform you in intimacy. In John chapter 4, Jesus uh, has this encounter with what we always call the woman at the well. And this woman's a Samaritan, which means she's sort of a half-breed. She's half-Gentile, half-Jew. And Jewish people consider Samaritans unclean. Like they would have whole road systems to avoid Samaritan villages. They wouldn't even go near them because they were unclean. Jesus seeks this woman out. Sees her at a well in the middle of the day, which means she's an outcast. The hottest part of the day. She doesn't want to be seen by anybody while she draws water. But Jesus seeks her out and goes to her. And they had this long conversation where it turns out she's been married five times and she's living with a man who's not her husband currently. And Jesus ministers to her in her brokenness and they have this conversation about worship. And, and, and she says, well, I'm, I know I, uh, the Samaritans say we need to worship God uh, on this mountain, but we, maybe we should go to the temple. And, and Jesus says this in John 4, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. And I would say to your credit, woman, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The word that gets translated into Greek for worship there is the word proskuneo. I know preachers love to 
let's just say Greek, like we're so smart. But the, the purpose of it is just the definition of proskuneo. Proskuneo. English just really lowers the bar on what things mean. Proskuneo is a word of intimacy. Proskuneo means to kiss. To kiss the face of. To blow kisses. So when Jesus tells this woman, he's saying, when you come to worship, the hour is coming, it's here, when you will kiss the face of the Father in spirit and in truth. And then we miss this next part. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. Does, does the Father seek us in intimacy because he's, he's somehow lacking in something? No. He is seeking us to worship him in spirit and in truth, to kiss his face because he simply wants intimacy with his children. He wants transformation in our lives and intimacy. And Zechariah famously says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That when people gather to worship, that God is there in this mysterious, ethereal, cosmic way. That, that he is with us in intimacy. That wherever we worship, he inhabits those praises. And you, you can feel it, right? When you're in a church service and everyone's singing and they're getting into it. You can feel the presence of God. Not just on Sunday, but Monday to Sunday. That, transfer, that worship is transformational in a way that that it should be a lifestyle. Worship isn't just something we do and then we walk away. It's who we are. As John Wesley said, that Christians are a singing, that the Christianity is a singing faith. I love that. Christian faith is a singing faith. It does set us apart as a religion in the world, this idea of worship. He said we should be a people filled with holy love who worship God with our, all of our hearts all the time, with our actions and our jobs and everything. We want to give God glory through our lives. This is a, this is a really good truth I read recently that how we worship, how, as Christians I should say, how they worship should affirm, either affirms or denies everything that we profess to believe about God. How we worship affirms or denies everything. What I mean is beliefs aren't just in your head. Beliefs are what we do, right? We do what we believe. We, our actions show what we believe. And when we worship with our lifestyle, with our lives, we're affirming what's going on in heaven right now. It's eternal worship of God. But it can be very difficult because when we're here on earth and we're in this linear sort of timeline of a life, we move from one need to the next, right? I gotta get the next meal, I gotta change the next diaper, I gotta pay the next bill, I gotta do the next thing. And these things demand our time and our energy. How can I worship God while changing a diaper? <laughs> I could say, thank you God for this beautiful child I get to change a diaper on. I'm giving God glory in that moment. If I get a flat tire, God, thank you I have a tire, right? But there's also ultimate values that demand the attention of our lives that are bigger than those things. Things like money and sex 
and power and achievements and these little gods, if you will, these little ultimate values, when you fail those things, they will never forgive you. But God, the, the most ultimate value, who we can worship, will forgive you. But whatever controls our life is our Lord. One thing is certain, we don't control ourselves. But whatever we have ascribed ultimate value to, your whole life is surrounding that thing or things. Everybody worships something. And it comes down to two prospects. Either you worship something that will distort your life, or you worship something, you worship the only one worthy of your soul, whose worship will not distort your life. C.S. Lewis told an allegory of this sort of idea where he said, imagine you're in a theater full of like thousands of people and on the stage is just like a big platter of food, like delicious, huge platter and there's a cover over it. And let's say the people are clapping and they're cheering and they're just so excited about the food they can't see yet. And someone goes up on the stage and they start to slowly, sort of temptingly take the cover off. And all the people start shouting and climbing up onto the stage and freaking out over the food. And he says, imagine there are space aliens in the crowd. It's the first time they've ever been to Earth. It's the first time they've ever seen people. And they're just assessing. The space aliens would say, these people are really weird about food. They're obsessed about food. What is wrong? Wouldn't they, have an, wouldn't they see this unhealthy addiction to something, this ultimate value that they're worshiping that's just distorted? And what he's really saying is, is that we're oriented to our ultimate value. And that's why the worship of God is so transformative because it reorients our ultimate value to the most important focus. Now, not only is worship transformational in that way, but worship is transformational in that it, worship is really about seeing and not about singing. And some of you are like, yes, thank you, it's not about singing, because I can't sing. And hey, the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be like in the key of C, okay? You can just grunt and worship God, all right? It's totally cool. But worship is about seeing and not about singing. Now, because like, when you see worship as something you turn off and on or something you just sort of endure to move on to the next thing, then yeah, it's going to be just about singing. But when it's about seeing God for who God is, seeing, remembering this, the grace that Jesus has shown you, then it's a very different thing than just something you do only on Sunday. It's seeing yourself in light of God's amazing grace and then responding to that. Like, think about people in the Bible that Jesus healed. How did, what did their worship look like after you could, like, see again? What did Lazarus' worship look like after he got raised from the dead? You know? And there's this fascinating account in Luke 17 where uh, Jesus heals some lepers from a distance. He doesn't even touch them. Luke 17, 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance, because they're lepers. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back 
praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. See, if we're Christ followers, we have been healed in one way or another. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been washed new in our baptism. You know, we profess faith. I mean, we've, God has blessed us in some way, right? And, and it, it's a challenge to realize the value of who he is and what he has done for us. It's about seeing that, right? And not just singing the surface level stuff of the worship service. But getting down deeper on a personal level. Like, like I was dead, and now I'm alive. Like, I was blind, now I can see. I was a leper, and now I'm not, right? I was lost, and now I'm found. And when I see that, I'm transformed. So not only is worship transformational, but it's also invitational. Who watched that Duke Carolina game last night? Whew! That was awesome. I don't have a dog in the fight. But I was glad Carolina lost. I'll tell you that, I'm kidding. Um, I know, I'm going to get some emails. No, no, no. There's one game a year I wish both teams could lose. It's that one. Okay, so, no. But I was, it was awesome. It was a college basketball level. It was great. What are some of your, what, like, what's some of your favorite, like, sports, te- sports teams, college basketball teams? Carolina? Okay, well, Okay. Let's say you were trying to convince me to be a Carolina fan, which is impossible. But let's say you were, okay? And you wanted to make me a Tar Heel, okay? Wear the light blue with a little, you know, preppy thing. Now, I'm a Wake Forest guy, so like, talk about preppy. Um, but uh, let's say you want to make me a Carolina fan. Would you sit me down for like a six week class and say, hey, let's learn about Dean Smith, let's watch videos. I'm going to teach you, let's tour the facilities, right? That's one way to make me a Carolina fan. Or would you rather say, hey, just come to the game, right? I'll give you courtside seats. You can, like, experience the whole thing. What's more, what's more transformational? Going to the game. When we invite people into God's presence, it's so much more appealing than just talking about it. It's one thing to uh, hear about it, it's another thing to actually just experience it. It's one thing to, to hear about the value of something and the worth of something. And by the way, if you want to give me courtside seats to a Carolina game, I would go. Like, I would happily go. And I would love it because I love basketball. I got to see a game last year at Cameron Indoor, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Way too loud. Way too loud. I know it sounded like an old man, but it was way too loud. It was great, though. But we can be real in that way, right? We can be real just inviting people. Because here's the deal. You and I cannot heal anybody. Pastors especially get this God complex where they think they're the arbiter of healing in the world. Like, no. Only Jesus heals people. But you and I can bring people into God's presence. And He can heal them. Amen? Like, we can't do it. But he can do it. We can be like Andrew in the New Testament where he meets Jesus for the first time and he runs and tells his like, family and says, come and meet this guy. Could he be the Messiah? There's an authenticity to that, right? Of just saying, just being real. 
Like, I, I can't explain what has happened to me. But you've got to experience this for yourself. And the longer I'm a pastor, and I see people in churches who I know their problems, and I know what they're dealing with, and they're in worship, it blows my mind. The faith that I see. And people tell me their problems, and I'm like, really? And you're here. It's so moving and, and invitational as well, because it's real, it's authentic. Bringing God our frustrations, our fears. Because maybe one answer to the problems we may face is having a high view of God. It's the solution not to dismiss our problems, but to see that, like, like for example, if, if, I, if I could show you God's presence for like five seconds, right? All of our problems we blown away like the wind. For like just five seconds. Like, people that I've met who have encountered Jesus here on earth somehow, through like a vision or an encounter with God somehow, they've told me the only thing that they wanted was for him, his presence not to leave. It was that good. That's what, that's what they said. That he was that good. That, that like people in the Bible, when they encounter God, like they're speechless. They fall down. They faint. Maybe one way we take on difficulty, that's also an invitation as well. It's authenticity. But one way we take on difficulty is with worship. It's like, God, I'm in a storm, and I didn't ask to be in this storm, and I can't change my circumstance, maybe. But you're still holy. You're still on the throne. You're still in charge. You're still sovereign. And there's an authenticity to that. Of saying, God, I was dead and now I'm alive. God, I was blind and now I can see. I was lost and now I'm found. See, religion says Jesus wants to make you bad people and turn them good. Through our works. I'm in worship on Sunday. On a deeper level, the gospel is Jesus saying, I make dead people come alive. I make dead people come alive. What does your worship look like after that realization? As we go into this final song, it's a great opportunity. It would be hypocritical of me to talk a lot about worship and not give time to do that. And it's having an open space to do that. Come pray if you'd like at the altar, at the prayer rail. No one's going to judge you for praying in church, trust me. And make it a time of worship as we sing this last song. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your presence. That in your presence is fullness of joy. And I pray especially for anyone here who's really struggling. And we all bring our circumstance into the room. We all bring the thing that is a mountain in front of us. But God, I pray that in, we would remember in your presence there is freedom. The spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And that we don't have to fear, God. Your perfect love can cast out our fears. And that you will, just as so you're faithful in the past, you're faithful again and again, you're faithful now. That we're simply ascribing value on worth onto you who has always been worthy, who's the ultimate value. 
worship you and praise you this time. Let's stand together.